This is Psalm 23. This is from the ESV. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. This, thank you, Kimberly. Good morning. Good to see you. It's been, I think, a year since I've been with you. It's a, it's a joy to, to be able to worship with you again. And uh, huge thanks to the kids. I know they're, they're, they're in the rooms, but give them a, an extra special slap on the back for the great job they did. And uh, just sitting right up here watching the, the leaders, I mean, did you see that they were like crouched down and spinning around themselves? It was amazing. Um, very impressive. So great do- job to the leaders, too. All right, let me pray, and then we're going to get into this psalm a bit. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your grace to us. Thank you, God, for bringing us together. Thank you, God, for this season, this season of autumn. And Craig said, how, or Laura, how beautiful this building is when the rain's coming down. So, Lord, we, we're in a safe place under your care, and... We entrust our hearts, our minds to you um, for these next few moments as we look at your word. And I pray, Father, that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, Lord, just as the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. So, Lord, be glorified, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let Let me start this way. Some of you maybe remember Rich Mullins. He um, was a Christian musician from years ago, um, maybe 80s, uh, early 90s. Um, he's passed away, but, but back then he was asked why he went to church every Sunday with all those hypocrites. Why do you go to church with all those hypocrites? And his response was, I think, something similar to how we would respond, how I would like to respond if I was a little bit quicker on my feet to such a question. He, he responded, I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite, because nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way there, to the people who greet you, that you don't have it all together, that you need help. That's a good baseline reason, I think for why we're here. And I wonder if all of us, and this is Christian, non-Christian alike, 
are simply looking for something more than what the world has to offer. We, we need or are looking for some direction, some, some guidance, something that Christians believe that we found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, we, those of us here, maybe are coming here anxious. And so we come together to remind each other, as we read in Peter's letter, that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The God of the universe would care for you and me. And um, I think if we would just... I don't, sometimes I'm not even able to grasp that. I'm not able to comprehend it. The God of all creation would care about us and about me. That's good news. Because everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be cared for. Here's what's interesting to me. We live in the most affluent culture in the history of the world. The average human lifespan is longer than it's ever been. And we can buy stuff. We can stream movies on demand. We have a world of news and entertainment and and now gambling and self-help programs at our fingertips. And yet all of this affluence and and, and ease and comfort can, can leave us even then wanting, longing, sometimes for what we can't really even name. So to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, we're looking for the scent of a flower we've not yet found, the echo of a tune we've not yet heard, news from a country that we've never visited. And I find this all interesting because the 20th century was supposed to actually inaugurate um, this great new era of progress and human flourishing. And yet, if we go back a few years and all the studies that came out from what happened in the 20th century we discovered that 187 million people died in war, making it the deadliest century in history. Um, There's a British historian by the name of Paul Johnson who wrote a remarkable book called Modern Times, and he attributed the 20th century's huge death toll to uh, the immense growth of organized state power, the decline of traditional religion, and the rise of totalitarian ideologies. All of which to say, like, progress isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Now, for the past three years, our mortal concerns have really been focused on this microscopic virus. And it feels like, well, we're kind of past that, sort of, kind of, maybe not really. I don't even know anymore. But there are other concerns, too, that maybe are a bit more benign. Uh, Neil Postman, he wrote a prophetic book in 1985 called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Everything today, it seems, is entertainment, kind of a vaudeville act. And maybe it's simply that boredom will be the death of us all, what he writes, as we try to hang on to life through medicine and technology and entertainment, but we're not really even sure why we're hanging on to life. So I'm convinced that humans desire more than affluence and comfort because we were created to desire more. So we find ourselves in the weird place of what we're drowning in all these freedoms. Be whoever you want to be. And yet, our tanks of meaning and relationship are, are dry, empty. And in this post-ish COVID new world, digitized, global, consumer-driven, 
Could it be that we're really just same old simple story? We're longing for meaning and relationships. Could it be that comfort, technology, and affluence are not it? And I think our lesson over the last several hundred years is that, listen, progress is good. I'm glad I'm alive now rather than in 1600, right? The lifespan now compared to then is double. We've got electricity, indoor plumbing, clean water, medical care, and all that. But progress without presence is a dead end, literally. And the church is about presence, God's presence in our midst. He reveals himself to us in the reading of his word and at the table, the Lord's table, and in worship and in this community, just being together and fellowshipping together. So we practice God's presence, looking for and longing for his presence everywhere. Finding that in God alone is life. He's the one who answers our questions, and he's the source and goal, the summum bonum of the universe. The one in whom we might truly find peace and rest. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be exploring this brilliant psalm. We're going to be here next week as well. And some of you are already quite familiar with it. Some of you probably have it memorized um, if there was like a, a top 10 list of like Bible passages, if it wouldn't be too irreverent to do so, this would be definitely in the top 10, maybe top five. I wonder if historically in the church, it might be a number one hit. You know, th- this is one that we're often familiar with. And the message this morning is really quite simple. It's comprised really of two questions. Who is the Lord? And secondly, what does he do? First question, who is the Lord in verse 1? The Lord is my shepherd. Who is this? You notice that the Lord is in, in most of your Bibles, um, is in capital letters. Jewish folks would not dare utter the proper name of God, Yahweh. That's how it's written in the ancient text. Um, so instead, they would speak the word. The Masoretes would, would say, no, we, we can't say it out loud. So you just do Adonai, is a word that means Lord or Master. In the Septuagint, the Old Testament rendering of the old, uh, in Greek, it's Kyrios, Lord, the translation of that word Adonai. So simple enough, we say God, Yahweh, Jehovah is my shepherd. Yahweh who created all things, who knows all things, who knows us and knows where he's leading us, the God of whom it is written in Nehemiah 9, 6, you alone are the Lord, you created the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry host, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that are in them, and you preserve, you guide, you direct them all. You're worshiped for all of that. In the sight of the cross, we can even take it a step further. In the gospel of John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd Jesus identifying himself as the very Lord of whom David speaks in this psalm. And it's an audacious claim. It's the one that would get him killed. Jesus, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. Now, if we would do a deep dive into Christology, if we had the time to do that, we would maybe look into Hebrews 1, where we see in Hebrews 1, verse 8, God, or the Lord, is Jesus, the Son, and that's who is being referenced in Psalm 45, Psalm 102, and even here. Jesus, our good shepherd. Jesus, the one who is fully God, and yet who is just like us. 
Jesus, our high priest. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us, but one who has been tempted, just as we are, yet who was without sin, fully man, fully God. That's our good shepherd. And he sympathizes with us. He cares for us, the sheep of his pasture. And so the second question, what does the good shepherd do? Well, first, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I want you to do this. I want you to hold your thumb in Psalm 23 and fast forward to Mark chapter 6. Starting, let's start in about verse 34. Jesus is with his disciples and the crowds following him. Mark 6, verse 34. When he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Hmm. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It goes on. It's a desolate place. The hour is now late. And so maybe it looks a little bit like it does right now. The sun has gone down or it hadn't even come out. It's gray. It's desert-like. It's desolate. Like dusk. Picture that in your mind. A desolate place. That's used three times in this little pericope, this little passage that we're looking at in Mark 6. Go ahead and look at verse 39. Then Jesus, he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. This burst of color in the midst of the desolation. The good shepherd leads them to this place. There's color, there's beauty, there's life, there's vibrancy. It had been desolate, but now we've, we've got this green grass here for us. He commanded them. He provides for them because he cares for them. God cares for us, inviting us into this beauty. And after Jesus fed them, they were satisfied, we read, if we keep going on in verse 42. They were satisfied. I shall not be in want under the care of this good shepherd. He provides for me. Now, how are the sheep satisfied? Well, by being commanded, sit here, come here, listen to me. They partake of his food. And sometimes we hear this like God commands us, right? And we sometimes think of God, maybe you have thought, I've thought of this God this way. He's this cosmic killjoy who's really out there just to make sure that I don't have a good time. And sometimes when we're children, we think that. When mom and dad say, don't go out and play in the streets, don't juggle steak knives, you know, take a nap, eat your, eat your vegetables. The command is given out of love because our parents care for us because God cares for us. Sit, stop, sit at my feet. It's a pleasant place. Eat, listen. And what does Jesus do in Mark 6 after he commands the people to sit? He feeds them. He feeds them. Now, there's this, oh, this is going back like 20-something years. There's this the, the movie, um, Pirates of the Caribbean. I think it was in the first one. Captain Barbosa. 
Captain Barbosa was a ghost slash skeleton something. They were cursed. They were cursed. And, and he said this, because they were cursed, we thirst but are never quenched, hungry but never sated. All right, what does that have to do with Jesus feeding the 5,000? Well, feeding the 5,000 with bread and fish wasn't an end in itself. Jesus says, I'll provide for you something more than merely the sustenance of food. So often we just want to be, just satisfy my need. I'm hungry. Give me food. And we look to the things of this world, and, but we're hungry again. And the things of this world always seem to disappoint, never really fully satisfying. And the good shepherd leads his sheep to where there's nourishing grass, good, cultivates fertile ground in an arid place. He gives food that satisfies, but not just bread physically to be nourished. He knows we need that, but also real spiritual food. As we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. On every word from him. He cares for us that we can get thirsty. The sheep must finally be free of thirst. And of course we need to drink something. Again, our problem is a lot of times we're drinking out of um, polluted streams, looking for satisfaction from secular culture and the things of this world, leaving, hewing our own broken cisterns and finding them dry. Again, progress, wealth, comfort, entertainment. We need living water so that perhaps we would say along with the woman at the well in John 4, sir, give me this water that I don't have to keep coming back to this well. Our good shepherd leads us beside quiet waters so that we might drink ultimately from him, the one who is living water and from whom we may drink and truly be satisfied. So when we partake of communion here in a little while, we're partaking of Jesus, being spiritually strengthened by his life as we eat the bread, as we drink the wine. The good shepherd, what does he do? He feeds, he waters, he satisfies. The good shepherd cares for his sheep and gives us peace. And the good news is that Jesus Christ is this good shepherd and we can be his sheep. He invites us. He compels us. He says, I'm the good shepherd. Come to me. I'm going to lead you to a good place. You're going to be satisfied in me. And we can know by the cross and by the empty tomb, Jesus cares. We can be his. We can belong to him. And he's going to guide us. And in a way, I think that's maybe what Paul was talking about when he would say, we're given a circumcision of the heart. We're branded by the Holy Spirit, a surgery done by the Holy Spirit, marked as his forever, secure, safe. It's a free gift, a new identity conferred upon wayward, sometimes silly, sometimes stupid, like me, sheep. Now, in this, of course, we, we have to ask some tough questions. What about all the bad things that keep happening to me or that are happening in the world? What about the wolves and pain in my life, my struggle against sin, and certainty of death, 
What about all that? Well, if the Lord is our shepherd, we can know that even in the midst of that, he's with us. Not like he doesn't know what's going on. Not like he doesn't care. He cares. And through every struggle, even death, he's there. And we can take assurance that one day, having already defeated death, he's going to invite us into that eternal life that he now enjoys with the Father. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. If Jesus is our shepherd, we have all we need. We have hope, assurance, because he cares for us. So our chief duty is to develop confidence. I think as a church, we come together, we want to have confidence in who our good shepherd is and what he's done so that we would walk with him daily, moment by moment. We don't need a, a map. We don't need, like in churches I've been to, they have got, a, they've got revelation mapped out and like this is where we're going. We need to follow Jesus. We don't need a map of, of the end times. We don't need a prophecy of what's going to happen next. We need a shepherd, and our responsibility is to follow our good shepherd who cares for us. Now, the last thing I want to do is make this very personal. We haven't got very far in Psalm 23, I know, and next week hopefully we'll, we'll take care of some more territory. But the last thing I want to make, um, uh, bring to your attention is this is all really personal. You notice in this psalm that Kimberly read all the personal pronouns, my, I, me, me, my. Make sure you're one of his sheep. This is about personal faith in Jesus Christ. And that's beyond just, yeah, I believe that Jesus is God. That's great. That's the first step. But it's I believe you in you so much cognitively that it's going to affect every part of my life. I'm going to follow you, and I know none of us are perfect, and we fail, and we sin. That's why we need a Savior, right? But it's like, I put my faith in you, and I'm going to follow you where you lead, and I'm going to trust you with my life because you're a good shepherd, and you care for your sheep. Put your faith in the one who truly cares for you. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your plan of redemption. Thank you for the sending of the eternal Son, Jesus, to be our shepherd, our guide. Thank you for your Holy Spirit uniting us to him forever. Thank you, God, that you would care for us, that you would be mindful of us. Such knowledge is too high. I can't attain that. Oh, Lord, would you impress it upon us more and more, that we would learn Jesus, know Jesus, be confident in our Savior and our guide, that we would trust you, that you care for us even when we're anxious, Lord. And would you do this all for the sake of your glory and our joy in our King and our Shepherd, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.